apparently there is more than one way to skin a cat. And I pray I never even have to learn one way to do it. Uh, but the point of this disturbing idiom is that there is never just one way to do something. Take, for example, raising kids or getting to the store. You, the minute you find one way to do it, somebody else comes along and there's another way. With kids, you think that you really have it dialed in with your first child and then you have another one and they're completely different. Y'all know this, I'm sure Elisa is very different than her big sister. So our scriptures this morning speak to this confusing, mysterious dynamism in our universe and in our lives. The way that the minute we think we have something mastered, the whole game changes every time, right? The Isaiah text this morning posits that things will change so much that they will not only be unrecognizable, but they will be the opposite of what they are now. Deserts will be springs of water. Valleys will be made into mountains and vice versa. There will be an upending and reorganizing of everything. To those who were in exile and originally heard these words, they were really encouraged by them. They needed a complete upending of their reality. But to those who were comfortable and have no desire to have anything reorganized, let alone everything being completely upended, it's disturbing news. Several years ago, when we lived uh, up in the Pacific Northwest, the city where we lived went through with a long-anticipated plan of punching through a road near my home. It alleviated a lot of traffic and created important access to a point of the interstate. And as part of the budget, many culverts were retrofitted to allow for spawning salmon to come back up the creeks. It was pretty incredible for the fish. We were right by a creek at our house and there were salmon immediately back. It's incredible, the memory of the generations. Salmon only live for two to seven years, and they, these culverts had been in place for over 30. The minute they moved those culverts, the salmon were back. Inc incredible regenerating of life. But building that span of road was not bad news for the community or the environment, but our neighborhood hated it. We would stand there and snark about it. Can you believe this? Look at all the traffic going by our house. We were no longer a sleepy country road. We were now a major intersection. What was good for the community felt like an inconvenience to us. This morning's epistle is another example of life being transformed and upended. Paul thought that he had religion and life and God totally figured out. He was the best, according to the law. The chief uh, fulfiller of all of the, the hoops to jump through, the chief persecutor of those who, who were not uh, a part of the in crowd, and the most assured proclaimer of what he believed was the only way. Until that is, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. And his world was turned upside down by the radical love and grace of God. The rules he used to hold so dear, the people that he knew were his enemies, and in fact, he defined himself against, 
When you start defining yourself on what you are not, you've got trouble. The way that he felt safe all got destabilized by the transforming resurrection power of Jesus. He was subsequently dropped from his place of respect and influence. From the outside, it did not look like what you would call a glow-up. It looked like a demotion. But for him, it was everything. All he knew to cling to after that was Jesus, period. And his life unfurled as an adventure, unpredictable, save for the love and power of God. Finally, in our tour of disturbing changes this morning, we get to the gospel. This is our last regular Sunday of Lent. Next Sunday, we go into the pageantry of Palm Sunday. But today, we find ourselves before Jerusalem in Bethany, at Jesus' best friend's house, at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' place. Fun fact, in this sanctuary, there is a stained glass depiction of Mary, Martha, and Jesus. It's the only one that I've ever seen, and it's pretty cool. How many people know where it is? Yes, it's right up here. It's really special. I don't see many sanctuaries with this depiction in it, but it's really beautiful. So sometime you can meditate on that if you like. But to Jesus, this place in Bethany was his respite. He could be with his friends who accepted him as he was. They reprimanded him when necessary and dreamed with him and so much more. It was there that Jesus, as demonstrated in this beautiful stained glass, showed that women could be apprentices in the ministry of the good news. While Martha did women, women's work of the time, Mary saw the opportunity to step outside of what was normally acceptable and be empowered to live into her anointing and leadership. It must have been so incredible for her to have been set free from the bondage of what was expected of her. When you look at that picture, I pray that you feel that in your own heart, the unlocking of the expectations of the world and the unfurling of the power of the Holy Spirit. So having felt that way and given that gift, there was no gift then that she could imagine in that final goodbye dinner, but something completely over the top. To me, it shows us a couple of things in the, in the scripture, if you kind of try to unpeel it back. It shows us that Jesus probably told Mary what he was going to be doing when he went to Jerusalem. She probably knew what the plan was. We hear him talking about it in the Gospels to other disciples. And it shows us that where Jesus' male disciples resisted it, oh no, Lord, please don't even say that. Don't even say that out loud. There's no way that's going to happen. And they resisted it and fell asleep with it. Mary believed him. And she gave him what he needed to encourage him as he moved forward on his path. That, to me, is more profound than how much money the perfume cost. That she saw him and acknowledged the magnitude of what he was about to do and honored him. Said, I trust you. I believe in you. And I've got your The fact is, Judas was right. 
She could have sold the perfume and given the money to the poor. It was really costly stuff. She could have fed hungry people. She could have housed the homeless. But life in Jesus is not a simple formula. We don't do things always the same way. There are many ways to skin that cat. Every one of Jesus' miracles was different. He healed more than one person of blindness, but it was never the same. He cast out many demons, but it was never the same way. We cannot put Jesus in a box. What makes us think that we can proclaim the good news out of one? It's not a prescripted formula. Mountains will be made low. Deserts will become springs of new life. Valleys will transform into vantage points and vistas of new life. Church, we have been transformed by Christ into recipients of a new future. Remember, when you're uncomfortable, that this is not a bad thing. What is good for the entire community may feel uncomfortable in our neighborhood. But trust the path that God has called you on. Embrace it. Enjoy the surprises. Cling to Christ. Baby Eliana, as you sleep, we celebrate this for your future today, your baptism day. We anticipate for you a grand adventure in Christ's love. God's grace and love will be with you every moment of your life, in every circumstance. We declare it over you and over ourselves today as we splash you in the ancient baptismal waters. Life in Jesus is living in the moment of God's love. It is letting go of our own personal comforts so that community can thrive. It is changing course even if it means we will be out of line with what we have always held dear. It is facing the hard truth, and rather than ignoring it or putting our heads in the sand, instead giving our beloveds what they need, the fragrance filling the air, the trust, the love. And even still, as everything around us transforms, we follow Jesus. Amen.